Welcome to episode number 302 of Category 5 Technology TV. I'm your host, Robbie Ferguson. And I am your co-host, The Gang. Oh, I'm Eric Kidd. Eric! How are you, Robbie? Doing good, man. You? I am well. I'm looking forward to a fun show tonight. I'm happy to be here, and I am just glad to be alive. Why don't I tell you what's coming up in news? (laughs) What do you think? Good idea? Do it. We, We can do that? Excellent. Okay, coming up in the newsroom. Twisted light can transmit data at 1.6 terabits per second through fiber optic cable. Facebook gave a researcher $20,000 for discovering a bug and reporting it back to them. A pair of Windows viruses, or viri, are helping each other survive. Voyager 1 may soon leave our solar system and enter interstellar space. Wow. Researchers have found a way to cram 1,000 terabytes onto a single DVD. And Half-Life 2 is now stable on Linux. Stick around. These stories are coming up later in the show. Awesome. Eric, do you remember when we reviewed the world's smallest computer? I remember that. The company Ricomagic that manufactures those. Uh, That was episode number one, or no, pardon me, 283. Uh, Go check it out if you haven't seen it yet. The world's smallest computer. Ricomagic has continued to develop their products. And tonight we're going to be showing you some of the latest and greatest from them. Also, we've got a ton of viewer questions tonight. So we're going to crack into the mailbag and we're going to have another viewer question extravaganza. This time we're opening up the phone lines. So feel free to pick up the phone. Give us a call. 2545-CAT5TV to get your question in. Or. 254-522-8588. That's true. That's what he said. That's what it is. In code. In code. <laughs> uh, you can also get us in the chat room at Category 5 on Freenode and, of course, through our website, Category5.tv. Uh, so stick around. We'll be right back with all these exciting things coming up and your viewer questions. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. At EcoAlkalines, we believe you should be able to trust your batteries not just here, but here, here, and here. But with one exception, you should also be able to trust your batteries here. EcoAlkalines are the world's first and only certified carbon-neutral battery manufactured to the highest standards of recycling and quality, without any trace amounts of harmful chemicals like mercury, lead, or cadmium. EcoAlkalines provide performance that rivals leading national alkaline battery brands at a comparable price. Find out more about the EcoAlkalines difference. EcoAlkalines.com This is Category 5 Technology TV. I'm your host, Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Eric Kidd. I'm the co-host. <laughs> By definition. <laughs> and how about a big shout-out to some of our new registered viewers. Yeah. We've got Blake 58 Hey. Hey. And Sifo and Bill777. Sifo, Bill777. Nice no, to have you here. No, that's Sifo. Sifo. That's yeah. one person. Oh, well, I know. Bill, okay. Saying hi to both of you okay. at the same time. Okay. It's this you new thing, the, the multitasking. And we have Jay Bolted. to two people. Jay Bolted. Jay. And Mandebian, or Mandebian, I bet is probably. Probably. You know. Mandebian. 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 But, you know, yeah, we'll leave that. It's the, like what we'll, you say. We'll leave like the syllabic stress uh, being on the third last syllable. It could be it like. should be on Debian. I, I'm thinking it's probably like, man, Debian. Like a realization. Welcome, nerdlings. Oh. And Taco Wan. <laughs> hey, Taco Wan. Taco Wan? I'll say Wan, you say Wan. And one of us will be right, and they'll smile. It's all good. And be... You struggling with this one? Empt. Be duck empt. Be duck empt. I'm going to let him have that one. So hopefully he's close. <laughs> and K12DOB. <laughs> and Memito64. And Masterminds. <laughs> nice to have you all here joining us as new registered viewers on our website, www.category5.tv. Of course, if you register, you get access to some really cool bonus features on our website. As well, you'll be able to participate in prize draws and things that non-registered viewers are not able to, uh, to participate in. They only wish 
They could participate. Be like, oh, if only I could participate in this. Well, now's your chance to go and register on our website, Category5.tv. But, Eric, how much does that cost? It's pretty pricey. It's going to take you probably 20 seconds, 30 seconds. That's all Of your precious time. Time is money, Eric. It is. Hey, I'm donating an hour or so here tonight. What? <laughs> I want to raise. Uh, I, I take really it back. I do want to raise. <laughs> uh, I do have a gift for you tonight, though, and we'll talk about that All right. later. All right. All right. You had a birthday recently, didn't you? I did. I did. I Good am answer. now 35. Good answer. <laughs> hey, and dyslexic. Don't forget to go Sorry. to our, webs- uh, our mobile website. If you've got a mobile device, scan that code m.cat5.tv. We've got live streaming there, both audio and video. At the same time, but also, I mean, like, separate. You can just listen to the show if you want with Category 5 radio, which is kind of cool. Quite frankly, neither one of us is that good looking. We have really good (laughs) uh, faces for radio, as they say. I'm going to leave that alone for now. (laughs) Category 5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. And the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Thanks, Eric. Okay. I mentioned a little bit about we're going to be looking at some gadgets from Rico Magic. You, you mentioned Rico Magic, back, and you mentioned episode two eighty three. Yeah, well, remember back on episode two eighty three, we actually looked at the Rico Magic Mini PC. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but yesterday was Canada Day, so I was that's on acceptable. A gig. I was on a gig. Happy Canada Day, Happy belated. Can- by the yes. way, it just fell in such a way that here we are wishing you a belated Canada Day, but. For those of you in America, we can uh, we can be proactive and say Happy Fourth of July to you. Uh, we're a little early. Well, we're a little uh, yes. That's Independence Day, is it not? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very good. Yes. Your history is there. You go. Really impressive, Eric. Apparently, they're coming out with a sequel to that movie too. <laughs> oh dear, that's what it was. Sure. That's, okay. Okay. No, we looked at this device. Okay, let's let's get on track here just for a moment. Um. Okay. Rico Magic. This is the mini PC, right? So we looked at this bad boy. Awesome stuff. This one's still in the wrapper. This one's brand new. So this is the the Bluetooth. You know, it's a, it's actually a, a full computer, and that's what we looked at on episode number 283. So go check that out. Uh, when we looked at this device, the reason that I pulled that out is just so that you can remember what we were looking at that night. So that is the mini PC. But we needed a particular type of USB hub. To run that thing. That's correct. Do you remember this thing? This is the uh, the newer technology seven port uh, USB hub. It's a powered USB hub with its own power supply and everything. Um, I wonder how I could best show it to you. Maybe if if Heather, are you able to actually see? If I hold that up, you can see that what's really interesting about this device. Not only is it a you know it's a full hub, but it also has a 2.1 amp dedicated power port. That's what was really good for us when we're using our Rico Magic device. Because it gives dedicated power with no data connection to a computer or anything. It's just straight power being generated by the newer technology uh, p- uh, hub, powered hub. Ah. So this is not just great for that. I mean, we found the perfect use for this device. But it is a 7-port powered hub, USB 2.0. It's a fantastic device, and it is high-powered. Like, this is 4 amps. So you can charge Whoa. your iPad off of this thing. Uh, which and I, the reason I use iPad or is your example. BlackBerry. Well, but that doesn't. The iPad okay. draws a lot more current. Like if you plug okay. an iPad into a computer, there's not enough current in the computer to charge it, right? So you plug it into this, and it's all of a sudden you've got you know, 2.1 amp dedicated. So this has got a lot of power behind it. Reason I wanted to bring this back up tonight is because we've got one to give away. Ah. So I want to actually send you one. So pop me an email live at category5.tv if you're watching this, you know, on demand. If you're not able to watch the live show, send me an email live at category5.tv. Tell me where you're from, what your registered viewer name is, because you've got to be registered on our site, which is free, as we mentioned. And then we'll enter you into the draw. If you are going to be watching the show live next week, don't worry. Uh, we're going to have Drawbot joining us in the chat room, and he's going to go in, grab all your names, and Drawbot put you into the draw. So, okay, so that is uh, we're going to send that anywhere in the world. Uh, very excited about that because it is a, a excellent device. Okay, I mentioned Rico Magic is is you did bringing out some really cool yes new versions, new upgrades. We looked at, I mean, this, this bad boy is amazing. We looked at this one a little, a little while ago. Yeah. Right? They sent me another box and said, okay, this one. Is this one you're not hooking it up tonight? 
I'm not hooking it up tonight. Okay. No, this is a precursor to the hookup episode where we're actually going to set this okay. up and we're going to configure it and everything. But uh. okay, so first of all, immediately you notice that the box is about twice as big, so you figure the thing's going to be twice as big. You'd think that. You'd think so. Apparently, I'm betting you'd be wrong. I'm betting so. Here we go. Okay. Looks the same size to me. It's about exactly the same. This is the 8024. 8024. But the 4 is in Roman numerals, so this is the 802IV, if you would say so. Yeah, it's like an intervenous version. So this really (coughs) plugs you in. With all the awesomeness. There must be more goodies in the box. I bet you. There, I wonder we if. We have some unboxing, unboxing music. Unboxing music. All right. Here it goes. Just like that. Should I get a, Heather, could you grab the guitar for me? <laughs> no, there's. Oh, look. Oh, look at what they've thrown in for you. Okay. We've got our, our uh, HDMI little so an HDMI. Well, because here, if you haven't seen the, the feature, here's what's cool about these. It looks like a USB Oh, not only the unboxing, the uncellophane. Can I, can I take off the cellophane? I think you can. Okay. Were you asking permission or ability, sir? <laughs> may I? Yes, you may. Thank you, grammar police. Okay, <laughs> so it looks like a USB flash drive, right? But I take this off, and what is that but HDMI, full-sized HDMI, so you can connect this directly into your HDTV. All right. But so we've got the USB hub. Well, that can power, that can power <laughs> the, the yeah, older gen. Yeah. Okay, so let's open this up. He's Reason, sensitive, eh? I'm very sensitive. <laughs> oh, this is beautiful. Okay, so the extender, what this does, okay, is it takes that HDMI and it makes it longer so that if your TV, for some reason, is set up in such a way that you can't plug that directly into the back because, you know, maybe the etching is There's such. probably, you know. Yeah. yeah, so this allows you to, in that case, boom, it still works on your TV and it just hangs off the back. It's a full computer. I'm going to tell you the specs in a minute. This is going to blow your mind. But look at what I see in the box. I'll show you. Whoa! It came with an AC adapter. They're thinking. And, you know, this could be after our last review. We said, look, we need to have a third-party uh, adapter here because a computer You're cannot power this. You're feeling partly responsible for this innovation. I am. Well, because a computer can't power the Ricoh Magic device because there's, uh, just like the iPad, there's not enough ampage there right. coming out of the computer. So they're actually including uh, a device here that is going to plug it in. So there you go. And now you can <laughs> plug it into the wall. You're good to go. And there's also, for those of you who want it, there's a... Oh, look. It's actually... They've included an, a, uh, a USB D- mini. mini. Yeah. A USB mini to USB-A adapter. I think that's A, right? Um, that's cool. That could actually be really, really handy for a lot of things. You know the thing I've never understood about USB being universal? Yeah. Why are How there come so there's many adapters? More than... More than Three different. Uh, That's going to come in handy though, because how many times do you need to charge oh. your phone and you don't have a USB I mini? Totally. Now I've so so, now so that'll, okay. uh, that that's I just want to make sure that's. You think that'll fit your BlackBerry? I think it might. <gasps> Look at if this. If I put it in, probably. Yeah. Check that out. Look at that. It will charge you your go. BlackBerry too. So Very there you cool. go. There's a charger for your BlackBerry. All right. right, right in the box. Okay. Sweet deal. For those of you who use Blackberries. Oh, those poor kids took another hit on Wall Street. I know, today. did they ever? That's why I joke. Okay, here it is. This is the new model. I told you that they've been upgrading and, and improving. So, what do we got? Okay, first of all, it's Android Jelly Bean 4.2. Okay, it's an RK3188 quad core processor. This has a quad core CPU GPU built in. It's got 2D, 3D acceleration. Uh, it's got 8 gigabytes RAM up to 16 gigabytes RAM built in. Uh, I guess it's NAND memory, like not, not RAM, I should say. It's, uh, it's the, uh, like the actual storage, like storage. space. Right. Okay. Uh, 2 gigabytes of RAM, pardon me, DDR3. And it's got, uh, it actually has a micro SD port on the back here. And with that micro SD, you can put in up to 32 gigabytes of storage. So if you want to add extra storage space to it, you got plenty of room for it. It has built-in wireless 802.11bgn, and uh, there you go. So they, they've basically taken it, and it's quad-core. Wow. Screaming fast, and because this is, this is a standard ARM processor, guess what? We could put Linux on this. Huh? So that's one of the experiments that we're going to be doing 
out of the box, like I say, it comes with Android 4.2. Uh, and now 4.2 is also available for the original Rico Magic uh, Mini PC. So if you bought this after seeing the review, uh, we'll actually uh, be showing you in an upcoming episode how to upgrade to version 4.2 of Android OS. Nice. So that's going to be cool too. Okay, you ready for more? There's more. Come Are you on. Following me, cameraman. He's still my beating heart. Do I, do I sound like like a absolute nerd? Like tell a that didn't start guy? tonight, Robbie. No. Okay. Sorry. Hey. I've got to show you this. You know, the bald nerd moniker? I know. It's Getting been a lot cool of hair on the it's side there. It's been cool this week. What can I say? Okay. When you're, when you're working with your mini PC or any of these kinds of devices, what's the thing? You, you're, okay, well, how do I want to control it? And I have, you know, I've got the controller, the air mouse from my Zios. Okay, so that works really, really well. And I use that. Um, I've also got an air mouse that, uh, that Rico Magic. This is their early model air mouse which we uh, had previously used with the, uh, the Ricoh Magic Mini PC. Okay. But right. watch what they're doing now. Oh, okay, Air Mouse meets television remote control. Are we a universal? No. Universal remote. Holy smokes. Dun, dun, dun. Right? It's got everything on there that you'd ever want. TV, VCR, yeah, I DVD, my cable, had satellite. had trouble with the TV and DVD player. This works, right? <laughs> Okay, so it's just a universal remote. Big whoop. It has a USB input. Can you see that? That USB oh, input charges... Oh, I, I see more. He sees more. The USB input charges the built-in battery, so you never have to change a remote battery again. Now, are you ready? Let's turn this thing around. A full QWERTY keyboard... With directional arrows on the back wow. of your multifunction remote. This keyboard is, in fact, Bluetooth. Whoa. You can use this with anything that supports Bluetooth. So you've got, now you have... The, we finally have a remote control that makes sense for our home theater PC. Regardless of whether you're going with a Ricoh Magic for your home theater PC, whatever you have, if it's got Bluetooth, this is it. So this is our mouse and our keyboard and our everything. It's all there. And it, yes, it has an air mouse built in. That is so very you can cool. actually move around like this. You know, when I first started working at the TV station, they had these Unix terminals that, and I set them up with Windows ninety five. It was pretty cool. Mm. And with mice, and honest to goodness, <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Cool this one poor person was there pointing, the holding the mouse up in the air, trying to make it. <laughs> it was especially great. the cordless. They were they were yeah, something well, else. No, we didn't have cordless yet. Come on. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay, well, that, that's right. Yeah. It was 1995, I think. Okay, no. what do we got here? I want to show you. Okay, we've got a charger cable, okay? And also, the this is just the adapter. So adapter. Your computer now receives the Bluetooth signal wow. and is able to support this remote. A little instruction manual, and there you have it. I think that's the perfect uh, HTPC remote. What do you folks think in the uh, in the chat room? So... I'm yeah. thinking this is looking amazing. So our whole setup here. Yeah. When are you so, on next? Well, yeah. Because we want to yeah. actually hook this stuff no, up. No, but I, I'm thinking this is probably a, not only is it a fabulous idea, but I mean, it's, it's not particularly expensive. No, it's very cheap. No. Yeah. It's amazingly cheap, this stuff. RicoMagic.com. I'm going to actually bring up their website real quick, but I'm going to post links in the show notes for episode number 302 as well, okay? So... I just want to see if I still have a, a short link there. Yeah, Rico, uh, it's cat5.tv slash mini PC. And that is actually going to take you to their website. You can see some oh. of the amazing stuff oh, that they're coming up mini. with. Yeah, a webcam with a built-in wow. Rico Magic type device. So you'll find all this stuff there. All of the pricing is available to you, and they're shipping worldwide right now. So that stuff is available to you. Uh, cat5.tv slash mini PC. This is the best thing ever. Fantastic. So, is the remote available? So, are these all available separately? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And there's the remote. This is the MK702 Roman numerals 2. So, okay. 7022. Are there other models available? Of the remote? Not this one. This is, this is the remote that you want to okay. get 
for sure. You'll find it all on Rico Magic. We're not going to get into pricing and stuff, and because all that stuff is being you know put up on their website. Uh, but when you watch the uh, the website Category Five TV, and we're going to be announcing when we're actually going to be conducting a full review of these products. Uh, in which case, you know, at that point, we're going to actually be firing things up. We're going to be running everything, showing you what happens on the screen, just like we did in episode <coughs> number two eighty three with the other product. Uh, and we're going to show you how everything connects and how to how to make it work. So, but wow. they are very affordable, as Eric was saying. So check it out. Cat5.tv slash mini PC, all one word. This is Category 5 Technology TV. I'm Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Eric Kidd. It's a viewer question extravaganza tonight. So should we get right into it? I think we should uh, do a couple questions before we jump into the news, and then uh, we'll come back to your questions as well. Don't forget our uh, our cat phone, as we call it. The telephone here in the studio is open to you if you'd like to give us a call, 254-522-8588. That's basically uh, 254-5-CAT-5-TV. So there. Let's do these questions. We have a a question from Steve. Hey, Steve. Steve says, you could show how to hook up a VGA or an HDMI cable from a laptop to TV. I did this with my new $220 LED 32-inch TV, 720p Mm. screen, excellent as a monitor, huge and beautiful. The VGA M slash M cord cost me only $10 at Micro Center. Old editions of it, Linux reset resolution to 1360 by 768. New ones set it automatically. Secretly, I think they're over pricing on some cords. Price fixing, perhaps? <sighs> you can go as large a screen as you want. Great for watching videos and Cat5 TV. Great idea. It worked yeah. for Steve. There you go, Steve. Yeah, no, if you can get a cheap cable. Okay, so I'll tell you the difference between... So that's a VGA mail-to-mail, like just a monitor right. cable, basically. So an output from a, a laptop or a desktop computer going out to your H, like your HDTV. Um, the disadvantage to the 9-pin, you know, the blue adapter cable, the VGA yeah. cable, as you say, is that it's analog. So you're getting a signal that is... Uh, not as good of quality as the HDMI. So if you have the option output from HDMI, that's the one you want to go with because then you're going to have true digital HD video. If you're going with uh, D-sub, the 9-pin kind of cable, you're going to lose signal quality. And that could also be why it's detecting the the erroneous um, screen resolution because um, you're connecting it to a TV not to a computer monitor, and so it's not a plug-and-play device necessarily. The computer sees that it's there, but probably can't quite tell what the device is and what its specs are, like a computer uh, monitor, which really feeds back a lot of data through the cable to to the, uh, the, the computer. So go with HDMI if you can. Are cables price fixed and overpriced? You bet they are. (laughs) <laughs> That's seriously. I mean, you walk into a super center. You paid ten bucks for a VGA cable, and you know, no big deal. Uh, but you go in and it, just price out a fifty-foot um, HDMI cable or twenty-five-foot HDMI cable, and you'll realize pretty quick. Even even better would be think about a, a Category Five or a Category Six networking cable. Just grab a prefab one from a store and you'll realize how overpriced it is because you know there's so many middlemen and they're prefabricated yep. they're you know the cost of a cable might be a buck or two um to the the people who are selling it so you know if they're charging you 40 50 dollars for the cable but not everybody the has the tools and the you may not have to the put tools, one together yeah, yeah. Uh, but you you know if you're looking for cables that can be manufactured on your own go into like an oem store that can make cables go into an electronics store and say you know can you make me a cable you, we have spools of ethernet cable and we'll cut off a length and you know that's what we call this. I found a great little store in south end of barry and know we're yeah. not doing a commercial spot but called sale okay and they have all the little connectors and gadgets oh, like that you can like the old everything. radio shack stores yeah, yeah it's nice. like, yeah but way more than i'm finding it at the source no, the source is, is not what it was when I was a kid. No, and I say, no Radio said, Shack definitely did. Radio Shack. When Radio yeah. Shack was Radio Shack back in the 80s, you could go in and it was like, it was my dream because I yeah. was building, I was talking to Becca the other night about how I used to, you know, I'd build patch panels, audio patch panels from little parts that I bought for a buck at Radio Shack. Yeah. And that was so awesome. Yeah. Now, and, and the fellow behind the counter was a retired electronics guy, so he was nice. able so to say, his way around. "Oh yeah, no, what you yep. need to do is it, it was anyway. It was just a nice little fun." That's cool. Well, I'll I was check that very out. Very pleased. 
Nice. Well, I am Thanks not for the email. Sure. <laughs> uh, oh, you've got something i got to bring up to you. Yeah, you're going to have to bring this up. All right. So if you bring that up. Working on it. Pyros rock this world. Pyros rock. Yes. Um, haha, I just received this. Thought you might add it to your collection. Excellent. Okay, I'm just going to save this to my desktop here. Pyros Rock, we like to protect your email address if we can. Yeah, so. Oh, nice. So this is an email, I guess, that has come in to, uh, to Pyrus Rock, our viewer. There we go. Google 15th Anniversary Award Center. It's, a, it's an anniversary award. It's seemingly from Google. Makes it look like it's from Google. You know what's interesting about this, and, and you may not immediately pick up on the subtleties that these scammers and, and phishing scams try to use to trick you into thinking that this is legit. The first thing that stands out to me is that it says Google beta, and, and it says, what does it say right above that? It says SSL. So you, you kind of, and it has the little lock, so you kind of in your head think, oh, this is, a, this is secure, it's, it's email, right? You, nothing is secure yeah. through email, regardless. Uh, but interestingly enough, so but isn't that neat that they, you know, that don't fall for that, folks. Um, there you go. So you won a prize. Congratulations! And it looks pretty official. And an email with a handwritten signature is always official. You can tell. Interesting. Thanks wow. for the email. Uh, all that to say, you know, Pyrus Rock, this world sent that in. Uh, for those viewers who are looking at that, wondering, oh, what does it mean? Um, companies usually won't, you know, they won't solicit you by email like that. Um, but hackers, if you will, and we'll call them hackers just because that's the generic term that's been a applied to them, will use company branding from companies that you possibly trust your bank or your Google. Oh, how often do you get something from a bank and it all looks legit unless you actually oh, yeah. run your, uh, your your mouse over top of the email exactly. link and you realize it's to xwyqrt.com off it somewhere could be anything, and it's yeah. not really going to RBC or TD or wherever, you know, and yeah. they want your information and your S, uh, you know, your social insurance number, et cetera, et cetera. It always yeah. is meant to look really official, right? So you got to be really, really careful of what... Uh, what you reply to in your email and what you what you click on, what links you go through. Uh, in this particular case, it looks like they're not even getting you to really click on links. What they're trying to get you to do is to fill in the blanks. Provide what? Your full name, your country, your contact address, your telephone number, your fax number, your occupation, your sex, and your age. So with that information, I mean, if... If I had that amount of information about somebody, I'm pretty sure You'd I probably could, get a passport. I could become I could become <laughs> you. Yeah. Um, so this is probably an identity theft um, attempt. So you want to watch out for that kind of stuff for sure. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Mr. Philip Brenson. <laughs> and thank you for the email, Susan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, here's a question from Jay Reed. Hey, Jay. Is there any easy ways to use encryption on user shares that reside on an unraid server? No. Very, no. very complicated, just like everything that I show you. We want to make it as hard as possible. I'm detecting a slight hint of sarcasm. I guess, since you asked so nicely, we'll make Spock it easy. Go for that. Can we, can we go for easy encryption? Okay. First of all, Unraid is a server platform for hosting multiple hard drives in a, f a single physical box. So I've got a computer on the network that has seven or eight hard drives, so now I have the capacity of basically six or seven hard drives in that with one extra hard drive for redundancy. So if one fails, I don't lose my data. Great little server setup. But can you encrypt it? I would want to ask myself before I answer that question, and the answer is yes. Okay, I answered it. Sorry. Uh, but the fact is, well, it's an in-house server. So the only person, we've kind of touched on this before, but if you encrypt something that is only accessible to you anyways, then the only person that you are basically encrypting against is yourself. If somebody if somebody breaks Maybe he doesn't in, doesn't want his wife to see his data. But she would. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
because it's on the server. And so if somebody were to physically come in and steal your server, they would fire it up and they would have an unencrypted because even if it was encrypted, they would have the ability to boot up the whole thing and it would be readable. If I encrypted it, though, then the, the scenario is if somebody stole a single hard drive from it, that drive would not be readable because it's no longer a part of the array which also decrypts the data for readability. So who am I protecting it against? The, the problem is, is then, okay, so let's say you have a catastrophic failure and five of your seven hard drives fail. So you take those hard drives because you no longer have parity because more than one drive failed. Uh, it was a power surge, say. And you take those drives to data recovery and you say, okay, well, here are the five drives that have failed and I need to get the data off of them. And they'll say, okay, yeah, we could get the data off, but it's encrypted. So we're not going to be able to read any of that data. Now what? Now what? Exactly. So with this encrypted array now, we've basically caused a, a really risky scenario. So I'm just trying to think of a scenario where it would be necessary to encrypt an unraid array. Because it's an in-house server. It is not world accessible. It's not accessible by anyone except those who are in my network, connected to my network. It's kind of like, you know, I've got, you know, a $3,500 Martin guitar. Mm -hmm. It has a little lock for it. Yeah. On the case? Yeah. But I'm going to take the case. But anybody's going to steal the, the guitar is going to, I mean, you're not going to open the case and take the guitar. Exactly. You know, basically all that's for is keeping your kids out of the case, maybe. You know, it's not really right. going to protect the guitar from anything. Accidentally well, opening. Or, yeah. <laughs> that's about it. Okay, so all that said, I, I wouldn't mind hearing from you what what your reasoning and thought is, process is behind wanting to why encrypt. Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to encrypt an unrated array? Why you got to be like that? Why you got to do this, man? <laughs> why you got to do this? Um, right. Okay, there are... No, I'm going to touch on the question. Like, that's, that's well, you my, are still that's my response, but I'll that still answer That was a pretty you. long preamble to... Uh, I'm sorry. Going in... Okay, sorry. Over sorry you, for trying to be helpful. You um, sound a little negative, I thought. Well, I'm, I just... <laughs> I want you to know the risks. <laughs> if I'm going to do something that could risk the integrity of my data in an event of a catastrophic failure without any positive benefits, then I want you to, to know that. Did Who left forget? their phone on? You know, I hate when that happens. because you plugged Should in a charger. And and it see it? Let's no, take the call. I, I think Let's I, say hi. We could actually say, I think it's uh, somebody from the studio. I'm going to turn my phone off. There's an idea. <sighs> <laughs> he's new here. Oh, wait a minute. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, of course, to encrypt, um, you you probably use ENCFS, like encrypt the file system, uh, which is coming available with Unraid version five, which I understand is in beta. And I'm I'm really you know I like to use the stable version, so I'm on four point seven. Version five though is is coming along quite nicely, and I'll give you the link to this episode number three hundred two. It'll be in the show notes. Quick link for you is cat5.tv slash enc. And you see that there is, that'll just take you right to the encryption se section here. And you see Unraid 5 has the ENCFS plugin. And that basically will provide what you're looking for um, encryption on your Unraid device. Mm -hmm. There's also a, there's a neat way to do it is, is to actually install something on your uh, SATA bus, which would allow you to use a, a, an actual key lock which would have an encrypted and decryption okay. kind of thing going on. So. But still, if you end up with your scenario of five or six drives down then the data lab... Yeah, encryption gonna, can cause you a lot of yeah. trouble that, that way. So, yeah, it's a hard call. But uh, send me a, a follow-up email and let me know why you, why you hope to do that and go from there. hope that at least gives you some information. But cat5.tv slash enc... And that will uh, that will take you to a forum thread that gives you a whole bunch of information about how to encode or encrypt, I should say, on uh, on Unraid. All right, go. Cool. <coughs> well, why don't we do the news, folks? Okay. Or did you want to do more questions? Let's do news and then questions. All right, let's do it. Here are the top stories from the Category Five TV newsroom. Novel way of boosting data rates in optical communication using twisted light has been shown to work in optical fibers. Mm -hmm. The light is effectively corkscrew shaped 
and more data can be encoded in differently twisted beams. The concept had previously be shown, had been shown off over free space, but it remained unclear if it would work in fibers. But now, a team reporting in science has demonstrated data rates of 1.6 terabytes per second over one kilometer of optical fiber. This is still short of the over-the-air rate of 2.5 terabytes per second demonstrated by members of the same team in 2012. Terabytes. Terabits. I had to correct Sorry, that, that is a small B there. I, I did not I did not correct kilometer, but I have to. The geek in me has to correct that it is terabits. 2.5 terabits a second. How, how would you correct kilometer? Kil- kilometer. It's, that's incorrect. Kilo equals syllabic stress. It, it, we've lost, I didn't, we've lost I said this fight. I didn't correct it. that. We've lost this fight in the media. Terabyte. Kilometer. Terabit. Thermometer. It, that that's should be a gauge for measuring something. Kilo. Kilogram. Kilo. Yeah, okay. Ter- you wouldn't say a, col- a kilo. Kilo. Kilometer, as you, you say. You say a kiloliter? Yes. You wouldn't say kiloliter. Maybe I would. <laughs> if I had had a couple of them. Oh, it's just, you know, you ended up with... A terabyte. I think it was the Americans a, got all of it. A terabyte yeah, and a terabit terabit is a completely different thing. That, that was absolutely a different animal. A bit and a bite. Totally different. Totally different thing. Totally different thing. I will give you that. But either way, that's. But super I did fast. not correct you when you said who instead of whom earlier. So, okay. <laughs> um, can we get back to the news? Let's do it. <laughs> So, let's see. This is still short of the over-the-air rate of 2.5 terabits per second demonstrated by members of the same team in 2012. But it is a powerful proof of principle for adapting the technique to use with fiber in data centers. I think all in all, it's, it's fast. Are we having fun yet? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Facebook. Facebook. Oh, not again. Yes, Facebook has rewarded a British man with $20,000, that's about 13,000 pounds, after he found a bug which could have exploited to have been exploited to hack into users' accounts. Jack Witten, a security researcher, discovered the flaw in the social network's text messaging system. Facebook thanked Mr. Witten with uh, 22, who is part of the site's Responsible Disclosure Hall of Fame. The company, like many on the web, encourages experts hmm. to report bugs to them rather than cyber criminals. I wonder, like, if I were to report, you know, the bugs that I encounter day to day, if I could get, you know, a portion of that. I don't know. Or do they specifically you know, but, have know, to do I, with I, I hate to even go there with this, but, you know, are the cyber criminals going to say, yeah, they gave him 20000 What if we offer him 25 <laughs> What if we offer Oh, yeah. Imagine what you could do with, with all that yeah. data. Okay, come on. Keep it honest, kids. Not that Facebook is ever compromised. Microsoft research has suggested that they are monitoring two computer viruses which collaborate together to spread each other through networks and are proving hard to clean from infected PCs. Hmm. The pair of viruses foil removal by regularly downloading updated versions of their malware partner. They are usually unknown to antivirus programs which let the malicious programs persist. Once present on a PC, the viruses let thieves take over a machine so it can be mined for saleable data or used to send spam or to attack other machines. The close relationship between the two viruses was revealed in a blog spot by Hyun Choi from Microsoft Malware Research. Hmm. That is something. So They're getting smart, aren't they? Okay, so they're saying this is hard to detect, etc., etc., etc. So what about the folks from... Say ESET or well, who knows, right? I, I'm not familiar with the particular VPR virus, but I think the, the idea is is that here's a virus or a piece of malware that gets into the system, and if you and it doesn't look infected, like malware until it partners up and downloads its other. No, I think it 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 sounds to me as though it actually goes out and gets its partner, and and they both wreak havoc. So yeah. then, if you if your virus scanner happens to get rid of the one, it goes the other one. The other goes and gets and reinfects right and it's probably one of those things that morphs and changes and everything well, so it that, sounds kind of that yeah, way and and this being from microsoft too i mean the they're probably testing with security essentials not with eset <laughs> so yeah i mean it's really tough to get it get out so we're using oh our own product Voyager one may soon be <laughs> the first man-made object to enter interteller inter May I try interstellar again? Give it a go. Maybe the first man-made object to enter interstellar space. 
Brilliant. It could be any day, but it could also be several more years. That's a quote from Dr. Ed Stone, who has worked on the Voyager project from the very beginning. He can't say when the Voyager 1 spacecraft will leave the solar system, but he believes the moment is close. Wow. The latest data from this extraordinary probe reported in this week's Science Journal suggests it is surfing right on the very edge of our sun's domain. The particles streaming away from our star have been uh, reduced to a trickle at its present location, 18.5 billion kilometers from Earth. Particles flying towards it from interstellar space, by contrast, have jumped markedly in the past year. So there's other matter out there. There That's what it's telling us. It all points to an imminent departure, which would make Voyager the first man-made object to cross into the space between stars. Launched way back in 1977, the probe has now traveled so far from home that its constant chatter of data makes seven, takes 17 hours to arrive at the U.S. Space Agency's receiving network. Wow. See, that's surprising to me. I would have expected it to be much higher. 17 hours. I, I can't Same believe day. that it's still communicating well, that Pluton- far away. Plutonium is a pretty viable battery source. Yes, but even just the fact that the... The signal is making it this far. In only 17 hours? What's that? It'll be doing that until 2020. 2020. Yeah, like what? what is interstellar space? Yeah. We don't really know. Is there, is it, it, because of the convergence of all this matter and energy, is it going to just destroy the thing? Who knows? Or could it keep going and keep broadcasting? Because it only takes 17 hours to get the data to us. Yeah. That's really cool. <coughs> Wow. It could be like a horizon. Like, what's beyond the horizon? It looks like it's infinite, right? And then yeah. you get there, and it's like, wow. Yeah, it's, it's the Truman Show, folks. And then what's on, We're the, gonna other, get, it's what's gonna on go, the other side of the wall, Heather? It's just going to collide <laughs> into the wall. Okay, a trio of Chinese scientists have discovered a breakthrough process that could, at least in theory, allow a DVD to store a whopping 1,000 terabytes or a full Petabyte. Oh, now we get to learn the true of meaning data. of terabyte. A thousand terabytes on an optical disc? Wow. That's a... You know, but I'm never going to say, oh, we never need to store that much data, because I remember when I had my you know, 20, gig, 20 meg hard drive, and I got my 360 meg hard drive, Yeah, and my friends say, you'll yeah, never true. fill that up. True. You'll never in a million years fill that up. And yet, here you are. That was megabytes, not gigabytes. But with a, a thousand terabytes on a single disk, uh, even with spirally light optical cables, that's going to take a long time. You know, I'm allowed 60 gig with my current internet provider, <laughs> and, and I quite often uh, go over Pirate that. Bay has just been completely demolished because yeah. Yeah, the new Blu-ray discs are one, <laughs> one petabyte. Wow. When you rip it, you're going to have to find a new encoding <laughs> MPEG-4. <laughs> the storage capacity of a DVD is limited by the size of the laser beam burning the small pits that represent the streams of data. Mm-hmm. Blu-ray increased the, its capacity by switching to even smaller blue lasers, but the storage capacity of that technology maxed out as well. In 1873, a German physicist named Ernst Abbe found that a beam of light focused through a lens could not be any smaller than half of the light's wavelength. And for visible light, which is used to burn digital media disks, that's around 500 nanometers. So, instead of breaking that law, the researchers found a way to work around it by using two beams of light that cancel each other out. And by ensuring the beams don't completely overlap, a much smaller beam can be created to burn even smaller pits on a disk, massively increasing its capacity. Since writing 1,000 terabytes of data would take forever, developing faster ways to burn disks will be necessary before consumers are ready to adopt the new technology. But the prospects of DVDs and Blu-rays taking a quantum leap in storage capacity is still incredibly exciting. I'll say. I'm just wondering about the integrity of the material in which yeah, they're making the pits. That'd be because mice. if it's porous at all, yeah. you know, down to whatever number of nanometers the the, the pit's N- going to be. Nanometers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you think about if there was like the yes. most. Yes, minute? that would be exactly if you were to pronounce. Okay, we, nanometer we don't actually need to the way you pronounce kilo, kilometer. It would be nanometer. 
And it sounds like something from measuring nanometers. How how big sure. is a physically? How big is a DVD? Like four and a half inches across or so, somewhere around there. Around there. And you think about like the most minute scratch. So if in that amount of space there is a petabyte of data, and you get even the slightest little fingerprint Probably or just a little tick, the- gigs upon gigs of data from this so little pin. You're gonna have prick. to deal with these in the clean room. You won't be able to, yeah. No, it, it'll have to be an enclosed could vacuum. It, could sealed. we go back to the to the carts where Perhaps. the disc is actually protected inside of a cart like a floppy disk? I think so. I don't know. Mm. I'm guessing. But How yeah. would you do it? Do you have more? There's more. Oh, Last yeah. week we mentioned the availability oh, yes. of the popular game Portal on Linux. And now Half-Life 2, the first-person shooter game also made by Valve, has migrated from beta to stable release on Steam for Linux, showing even further that Valve is serious about expanding its Steam gaming platform for Linux users. Half-Life 2 Episodes 1 and 2, as well as the spin-off mini-game Half-Life 2 Lost Coast, see their beta tags shaken off and are now available in Steam for 10 bucks. Ten dollars. It's getting serious, folks. Linux is a gaming platform. Just saying. Get the full stories at Category5.tv slash newsroom. The Category5.tv newsroom is researched by Roy W. Nash and Stephen Dulaney with contributions by our community of viewers. If you have a news story you think is worthy of on-air mention, email newsroom at Category5.tv. For the Category 5.TV newsroom, I'm Eric Kidd. Thanks, Eric. Check out adzerk.com for the fastest asynchronous JavaScript ad serving code. Adzerk.com. My mom, my 83 year old mom, said, What's adzerk when I wear the shirt? I was last time I was here, I think yeah, I was yeah. wearing it, and I went over for a visit. Oh, okay, like after the show. I was like, yeah. Mom was watching? No, oh, no, that's so no, sweet. no, 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 no. And then, no, she hasn't figured out the computer yet. But, All right. Uh, but she must ask me about five times, and I explain it, and then, and again. So what's Azurk? It's asynchronous JavaScript <laughs> serving code, Mom. It's the world's fastest asynchronous JS code. That's yes. I mean, think in terms of the cloud, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm leaving that alone. <laughs> All right, we got a couple more questions there that we can sure. Uh, why not? Tackle. Thanks for sending in your question, folks. Uh, live at Category5.tv. Don't forget, you can give us a call. I know, you know we're not at all used to uh, taking calls in studio, but 2545-CAT5TV if you'd like to give us a call. Oh, let's do it. Somebody call. I'm going to call. Oh, I turned my yeah, phone your off. phone's off. Sorry. Okay. Well, we're going to have <coughs> to stick with email. From Old Salt. Hey. I have an e-machine. ET1331G-03W with 6 gig of RAM. Oh. Do you want all the... Shall I go through all the specs here? Uh, An AMD Athlon 2. Yeah, okay, it's got a big hard drive. It's got NVIDIA graphics. uh, Okay. Enforced Ethernet. And he has an HP uh, all-in-one printer. So it's a basic consumer computer, off-the-shelf e-machine. He wants to know if we can add Ubuntu as the third OS without any problems. What OSs are on there right now? Well, let's see. We'll go back. It's got XP 32-bit and Windows 7 Home Premium 64-bit. Nice. So, yeah, do it. Here's what I would do. Okay, what do we do, Eric, anytime we're going to be repartitioning our hard drive? Back it up. Back it up, back it up, back it up. Okay, so get Clonezilla, clonezilla.org. Run a full backup of your entire hard drive, including the partition systems, because you just don't want to take that risk. If you are reasonably experienced with partitioning, then it's not going to be a problem for you. You're going to be able to create a partition, install to that partition with the installer in Ubuntu, and Ubuntu is going to install a new bootloader, so you're not going to have the Windows bootloader anymore. It's going to be the Grub bootloader. And with Grub, it's going to then present you, when you first boot the computer, with Windows XP, Windows 7, and Ubuntu, as well as a couple other options like recovery mode for Linux and and possibly memtest and things like that. But regardless, it's going to create a triple boot environment for you and give you the menu to do it. reason that we want to use Clonezilla first is just so that you have a fallback plan just in case something goes wrong or, you know, it, it's pretty unlikely, but I don't like to take those risks and it's not going to take you much time to, to run a clone. Um, Clonezilla will create a backup of not just your data, but the whole 
the whole hard drive, including the partition tables. If you do a device to image style clone. What is neat about that is that when it creates the image, it's not going to store empty sectors. So if you have the 700 gig hard drive and you're only actually using 200 gigs of the, da of, of the, the drive's Space. capacity, it will only be a 200 gigabyte uh, image. So it, it, it works out quite well for you. So give that a try uh, and, uh, and let us know how it goes. But yes, it will automatically uh, pick up your other operating systems and it'll do it all for you. So... Um, just be, you know, be cautious as you're going through that. Uh, and the Ubuntu installer will actually prompt you if you go through with some of the defaults. It will say, "Do you want to overwrite the operating systems that are on there, or do you want to add to the free space Ubuntu?" And it will automatically repartition your hard drive and make a triple boot for you. Uh, but again, fall back on that Clonezilla image just in case. Yeah, mm. exactly. Um, and Old Salt has been uh, into computers since DOS and then went to Windows. And oh, yeah. Thinks XP is the best uh, version they ever came up with. And so I just thought I'd add that. I suppose, like, if, if it was, like, a battle of Microsoft products, then XP was kind of the first stable, so to speak, the, the most stable of the, the line with full multitasking, right? I so I think it was revolutionary check. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So... <clears throat> okay, how about another one? Love it. Thanks for the question there. Okay, and here's one from... How do you say that? <laughs> there aren't that many syllables. I'm just saying. Oh, that was just, sorry, okay, the feedback. And, and tonight, I I'm Rachel. Speakers on. Tonight, hi, Robbie and Rachel. Oh. I use <laughs> KeyPass X on four computers, three yeah. Linux, one Mac. Cool. And want to keep the database files in sync. They're not on the same LAN, but can connect via the internet using SSH. I plan to have one machine be the master and have cron run rsync in each direction from each machine to the master. Okay. I'll have rsync make a copy before overwriting. I think this will work, but it seems a bit kludgy. Mm. Is that a technical word? Ah, Kludgy? Kludgy, bludgy. Do you have a better way to do this? I love the show. It's always a lot of fun and very informative. I really enjoy the back-and-forth banter. I usually can't watch the whole thing live, but we'll watch it later on. Thanks. Kick, kick, kick. Carl. Well, kick, 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 And we will pass along. Let's see what we can do. Hi to Rachel. Yes. Uh, I, think you're, I think you're really on the right track. Yeah. It seems like you understand SSH and the ability to actually connect to a server using a, like a, an SSH connection because you're doing that with rsync. What if, though, we were to take a different approach, and instead of using rsync to sync each computer and, and potentially cause issues, and then you've got actual individual copies of this file scattered on each computer, well, I guess it depends. Is, are, the f are you always connected? See, I want, I want to imagine that you're always online. If you're always online, I would set up the SSH connection that you already have established and on that SSH connection would lay the one file that gets backed up and that one file would be accessible through an FS tab entry so that your each of your other computers would then have the mount point set up in the same way so that they all share the same file through SSH and they're all connecting to that server and they're all able to modify that file and use that file and all that kind of stuff. But if you ever lose your internet connection, then you lose access to that file. So that's where, uh, if you're on Ubuntu, you can use things like Ubuntu One and you don't have to be on Ubuntu. Uh, you can just install Ubuntu One. Ubuntu we One. do like Ubuntu. Definitely. Uh, but Ubuntu One is like a cloud-based storage place, so it gives you the same thing. But what's uh, advantageous about Ubuntu One is that if you lose your internet connection, your computer will fall back onto a local copy automatically that it has already synced from the cloud. So that might be the route I would take, uh, but SSH would be the first one I would do. Uh, we, we did a feature on the show. Uh, if you go to category5.tv, I'll just quickly grab you the, the episode number. I'm going to do a quick search for uh, S well, CIFS, SMBFS, or I may... SMBFS, FS tab. Why don't I do that? I'm going to go with the old SMBFS just because that'll take you right to the original episode. And just be mindful that you'll need to change it to CIFS because uh, SMBFS has been deprecated. 
Um, on episode number 296, actually, we talked about uh, that very thing. So check that out. And that refers to... So episode number 296 talks about it in viewer questions. Um, and it refers to our lesson that happened on episode 266, about 12 minutes into the show, uh, which shows you how to set that up so that they're all connected all the time to the server, which is really, really cool. I love that. I've got, just to give you an example scenario, I've got, um, I realized that my wife's documents, like the files on her computer in the documents folder, that her backup hadn't been running because it had gotten too large and it was not wow. working. So I said, well, what am I doing? Why does she have her own independent documents folder? I've got a server here. So what I did is I created a documents share on the server and I used FSTab using this procedure to change her documents into a mount point. I moved all her files down to the server uh, into the share and then I mounted through FSTab documents. So now when she brings up documents, she's none the wiser. She just still sees all her documents, but actually they're on the server. It's still the same place. It's still in her home folder in a folder called documents because that's the mount point and it's all there. So then I back up the server on a nightly basis off-site and all of her stuff is involved in that backup. So I love that method of doing things. So let us know what you choose. And and otherwise, I think you're on a really good track with R-Sync, but just you need to figure out some kind of a script to make sure that it doesn't overwrite it if they're having, like if the changes, if the changes were done on my computer, I don't want to get that file overwritten with the changes right. from another computer, right? It can get a little bit complicated. That's where uh, an already existing cloud infrastructure like Ubuntu One would be advantageous. Mm -hmm. All right. Do we have time for another question? I think we'll squeeze it in. Okay. Here's a quick one from, I guess this is Mikey. Mikey. Uh, Mighty Scotty Coopy. Oh, all right. Hey. So I'm going to be playing music in a bustling city park, and I was wondering if, it could, if I could use two DSLRs to do a multicam live stream. Could hmm. we do it using a MacBook Pro? I know in your video you have separate PCI cards for each camera. You know, the DSLR is going to, you're, if you're hoping to do HDMI, it's, or uh, HD, it's going to be HDMI output, in which case your MacBook Pro doesn't have an input for HDMI. It has an output for HDMI, but you can't plug the HDMI cable from your camera into the HDMI output on your laptop. Then you've got two powered signals clashing with each other and could cause some damage. So you're going to still need some kind of capture device. Um, if your MacBooks are, if your MacBook is new enough, then you might be able to add uh, like a, an external Thunderbolt or USB three capture device, like a Blackmagic Intensity external unit. Um, that would work. Uh, and then you use something like Wirecast from Cat5.tv/Wirecast to do the switching. As you saw on the show, the uh, DSLRs are going to probably shut off on you after a little while so if you're doing like a flash mob or something where it's going to be done in five minutes flat then you're, you'd do just fine and you'd get some amazing video live though what I would do if that's the scenario is I would set up my um, DSLRs and I would use those to shoot the video recorded to its internal storage or to its flash drive or whatever shoot it in full t like full HD and then you're you're getting that away from the streaming end of it, and then just have a, a handy cam or some other kind of thing. Like we used we, just a, a DV camera with a, a FireWire input. Your MacBook is going to have a FireWire input, so then it's only SD quality. It's really low quality, but at least you then have you've got two HD DSLRs recording full quality, full frame rate, 60 sec frames a second. It's fantastic video. And then you've got the one that's shooting live, and it's stream it's just streaming really crummy quality video, but it's it's good for for streaming. So then you take your high definition camera sources, you take those ones back to the studio, you post produce them, and you make them into a nice video, and everything looks really really good when people actually download the thing uh, off of or watch it on YouTube or whatever it is. So that would be the way that I would approach it. All right. What's that? Somebody's saying your mics. Uh, Could you guys hear me through all that? The mics are loose. The hmm. mics are loose. <laughs> well, I didn't check your invincible mic. Invincible mute. Let's see your mic. My mic. I didn't check this. Oh no, it's not loose. You're good. 
All right. Thanks. You know what? Did you guys hear what I said? Because I don't mind repeating myself if I need to. <laughs> Just for okay. that one question. Oh, sorry, Most folks. Most of the time you cut out and there's a lot of static. Well, if you can hear me, we should say a, a hello to our viewers on YouTube, Blip TV, Miro Internet TV, First Run TV, Roku, etc. Okay, we're going to actually redo the whole show right now. Um, so, wow. No, Jot, you are so kidding, right? I'm watching the chat room here. Uh-oh. Jot's pulling our legs. Yeah, I don't know. Well, no. Eric's mic is fine. You guys know how to private message, right? <laughs> no way. Oh. Guys, we love you. Show's over. Get out of here. Thanks for joining us tonight. Next week is going to be really exciting. Uh, Krista Wells is going to be here with me in studio. And she's we've, way better looking and more charming than I. That aside, we've got this device to give away. This is the 7-port uh, USB uh, 2.0 hub. We've got that to give away. And we're going to be showing you how to convert our photos into video slideshows using free software. Um, so don't miss that next Tuesday night. So have a fantastic week, everybody. And we will see you uh, in a week. See, see you then. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed the show. Category 5 TV broadcasts live from Barrie, Ontario, Canada every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you're watching this on demand or through cable TV, check out the local showtimes in your area at Category5.tv and find out when you can watch live and interact in the community chat room. Category 5 is a production of Prodigy Digital Solutions and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 2.5 Canada. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in.